Welcome to episode 114 of The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Emily Hanako Momohara, and this is the uh, third and final installment of my recordings at the Society of Photographic Education Conference in Houston, Texas. So I recorded with Emily just after her panel talk, uh, titled 21st Century Family. She spoke about her work, Fruits of Labor, A Legacy of Immigration and Agriculture, which draws a connection from her own great-grandparents' history on the pineapple plantations in Hawaii to the plight of today's immigrants and migrant workers. Emily also connects her work and activism to her grandmother's incarceration at Minnakota. And, as Emily will say in the show, she went from being a quiet activist to a more vocal activist because of the direction this country has taken, and that she is in a position to stand up and speak for others in a way that she would have wanted communities to stand up for her grandparents and great-grandparents in their time. Uh, Emily Hanaka Momohara was born in Seattle, Washington, where she grew up in a mixed-race family. Her work centers around issues of heritage, multiculturalism, immigration, and social justice. She has exhibited nationally, most notably at the Japanese American National Museum in a two-person show titled Sugar Islands. She has been a visiting artist at several residency programs, including the Center for Photography at Woodstock, Headland Center for the Arts, Fine Arts Work Center, and Red Gate Gallery in Beijing. In 2015, her work was included in the Chongqing Photography and Video Biennial. Emily has created socially driven billboards for Four Freedoms and United Photo Industries. She lives and works in Cincinnati, where she is an associate professor of art at the Art Academy of Cincinnati and heads the photography major. And just like in the previous episode with Rula Saikali, uh, I called Emily just to catch up because things are so very different now from when we recorded. And in the episode, Emily talks about uh, an event, a protest in Washington, D.C. that was going to happen in June. And I just wanted to see what was going to happen with that and how that affected a documentary that we also talk about that Emily was finishing up. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. And let's get into the phone call. Hi, Emily. Hello. You know, when we recorded at uh, SPE... Uh, things were a little different, and we had a conversation that uh, made assumptions that we would be out in the world. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, yes. Well, one of the things, well, first, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I feel very blessed. My situation um, during this crazy time that we're living in. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yourself? Uh, you know, we're doing okay. I just finished teaching. I'm, I'm sure you did too, right? Well, oh, I'm on sabbatical, sabbatical this semester. We talk about that. That's right. You were on sabbatical. I feel so guilty that all my <laughs> colleagues had to go through this crazy, you know, how do I teach a studio class online and all that. And then... Well, don't feel too guilty. You're going to probably have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually, we, our school has decided we're going to do in person, but we're going to do smaller classes and social distancing. Um, there's a few classes that are going to go online. Yeah, that's we're that's what, forward. That's the conversation we're having now. You know, New Jersey got hit really hard. So we're not committing to any face to face right now in person. Uh, but mm -hmm. but we are planning for just that smaller uh, group meetings. Uh, yeah. Social distance. Yeah, because, you know, I teach black and white photo and studio photo. Can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel so bad for those students who took it this semester and halfway through you know they got just enough probably to make them want to do more yeah <laughs> that's right couldn't go in anymore. that's right well, um you know so, yeah we'll we'll have to play catch up a little bit yeah and if you ever want to gauge if you ever uh you know want a, a measure of your engagement with students and 
whether or not they're really into, you know, sometimes you, you teach and you don't know, you know, just how into what you're teaching the, the students are, well, you know, you, it's taking them out of the dark room. That was a, that was a real, you know, uh, eye opener for me that that's how much they wanted to be there. You know, it's, it's like the most special, it's one of those classes that are so much fun to teach because it's like nothing else. Yeah. It's such a special place. So. Exactly. So one of the things we spoke about uh, at SPE was uh, you were going to have a June protest in Washington in DC to protest detention centers and camps and mm -hmm. it was part it was going to be um, part of your May Namba documentary project by the way did you ever come up with another name for May Namba project <laughs> I have not okay this was going to be part I have of not. it <laughs> but um what have you uh, you know spoken about with that with the planners with other people yeah so the the march on Washington has been postponed there is going to be a virtual event on that weekend, but obviously it's not going to have the same effect as the, the filming. Right. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what that's going to do to the film. It depends on how far out that protest is pushed. Um, I thought I had the perfect, you know, ending for the film and now right. I'm, I'm not sure the editing is almost to the point where I can't do any more until I get our my narrator, uh, who's Maynaba's granddaughter, to do some voiceovers and to um, do some of the like illustrative scenes. And she's in Seattle, mm -hmm. so <laughs> um, I'm just <laughs> I'm just kind of waiting to gauge, you know, what's what's going to happen next. Yeah. That, that is true of so many things right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One thing that's popped up, though, because of COVID-19 that was unexpected um, with the whole uh, uh, immigrant rights and uh, the detention centers that are happening is that these federal detention centers, I mean, uh, like the one in Ohio here is not specific just for uh, immigration. It's a prison. And then they also have folks that are waiting for their their day in court. Oh, um, right. But that facility has been ravaged by COVID-19. And mm. so here you have these folks who are not paying a debt to society, who are not, you know, incarcerated because they're dangerous. They're simply waiting for the judicial system to get in gear, and right? And the, those hearings are probably way behind, postponed by this, right? Exactly. Yes. So they're sitting in these Petri dishes of... A viral infection. Yes, and it's really disturbing. There have been some photographs and things that have come out of, you know, their situation in there. Some some kind of phone videos where they're saying, "Hey, we really need some help. We're terrified that we're going to die in here." And, you know, I just can't imagine that you have to flee, you know, a war torn country or gang violence, and then you finally get somewhere where you think you're safe, and then. You're separated from your kids and you, you know, are in the middle of this epidemic and uh, you, you can't protect yourself and stay, stay healthy. So that, that's been part of the plan, right? It's been to make it as, as difficult and they separate families and they, you know, the, the, in order to curb immigration there, they've put all these barriers in place. Absolutely. The deterrence um, really with kind of disregard for the, the humanity of it, um, separating kids, uh, locking people up, that kind of thing. Right. Yes. 
one of the things that um that you also mentioned at the beginning when we were recording, and I forgot to get back to it, is that you teach in China. I do. Yes. Yeah. What are you teaching there? Where do you teach? Well, uh, it's at a university, Jinan. It's a actually a tourism university, but they have a program for. So obviously, English is is a good language for classes to be taught in. <laughs> for kids of tourism, um, but they have a program where students who are coming back to China, who are living abroad in the summer, they can take classes, and uh, it's basically their parents want them to not lose their language skills while they're home for the mm-hmm. summer, <laughs> and so they take classes, and they're all kinds of kind of cultural things. So that's why there's art and art history and. Social sciences, things that would be good for a well-rounded global person、oh, who、okay. was going to be working、uh, globally, you know, to to、uh, have some background in. So I've done that for three years, and this year I actually had said that I I couldn't go because I was going to make a trip with my dad to Japan for the Olympics. Actually,、oh. that's not happening. Yeah.、Uh, <laughs> yeah. So、uh, I actually got an email yesterday. From Jinan saying,、uh, "Would I be willing to teach a drawing class online?" <laughs> I、oh. said, "No." <laughs> That is way too hands-on, and I, I just, I was like, "No." I, I said, "If, if, if you want me to do an art history class,、yeah. I would do that online." But I, I... so a classroom full of、uh, iPads and Apple pencils, and <laughs> yeah, and you have a language barrier,、oh, yeah. and I, I, you know, I mean, some of the students are totally fluent, and some of them. Are beginners, and、mm. you just really have no idea who's going to be in your class, and so I, I just can't imagine yeah, teaching yeah. that online. Right. I don't know if I would need to be teaching it, you know, in the Chinese time zone, which is exactly twelve、oh, hours different. That's right. That could so, be an issue. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like,、uh, I so, but I, I, yeah, I, I said, I. I I can't do that. So、yeah. I'm not going to China this year. Hopefully next year I'll get to go、uh, because I really, I really love China, and it's it's like kind of culturally it's so different. You know, there it's almost、um, the opposite when you think about we're taught to be very polite to strangers and all that, and then you know we might. Be terrible to our loved ones or something. <laughs> That's right. We only、um, insult the people we love. <laughs> right? Yeah, our friends or whatever.、Um, but there, if you don't know someone, you don't have any social obligation to be kind or whatever. But friends or people that you work with, you are. I mean, they are your number one, right? So there's just this really this difference. So you get to just experience, you know, the way in which they do things. And I, mean, I, I think about some of the folks that I. Knew even for years ago when I lived in China, and we still, if we're ever in the same city globally, we'll still get together. And they're just the, the kind of、um, generosity and gracefulness、um, is really great. And I,、yeah. I, I think we need more of the American <laughs> culture. <laughs> well, you you showed. You showed at the、uh, Red Gate Gallery in Beijing, and I don't know if I'm saying this right. Is it the Shangchun? Photography and video biennial. Yeah, so I didn't actually have an exhibition at Redgate. I、mm-hmm. had a residency there. Oh, okay. A, a residency program. Yeah, yeah. Chongqing. I'm probably not saying it right either. <laughs> but I mean, when I I gave up, actually, I took six months of、uh, Mandarin lessons, and even when I thought I knew what I was trying to say, I would go out into the world, 
and people couldn't understand me. I think <laughs> my accents yeah. coupled with them not expecting me to maybe be so bad or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> they will just stare at me like, what right. is this lady saying, you know? <laughs> but yes, I did. I was able to uh, show a little bit. I did have a, there was a um, an exhibition in Beijing uh, that I was part of. It was a, a young a young person's uh, exhibition. Oh, like, like one of those 20, was, 25 and under kind of shows? He, well, I think it was supposed to be like artists in their 30s or something. And I, I told the guy, I was like, I'm 40. <laughs> and he was, he said, <laughs> he said, oh, but you don't look it, so it's okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> they still put my work though. Um, but yeah, and that was someone that I had met through the residency at uh, Redgate, uh, which is fantastic. I would recommend anybody apply for that. They don't have the same facilities. I, I think I got to be part of um, this amazing art colony that was out there, which has now been torn down for oh. progress, right? <laughs> Probably some Western-style neighborhood that was built in that place. It was on the outskirts of Beijing. Oh. It was great. I mean, Kendi Wiley had a studio in that compound. Um, there was just international everywhere from like beginning artists to really famous folks. Mm -hmm. And so that was really special. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, checking in with me and I'm glad you're okay. Yeah, you as well. And uh, let's hope that we can have real face-to-face -face meetings uh, in the fall. You know, I think we just have to be as flexible yep. and um, understanding as possible and just try to, you know, get through it. I. I, like I said, for all of you who actually had to teach during this time, I, I, I just admire the struggle that you went through. I can't. I, I literally, I can't imagine <laughs> thinking about it that way. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. Let's hear it for all the teachers. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. Sure. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. I am Emily Hanako Momohara. I am an artist, uh, an activist. I teach at the Art Academy of Cincinnati, where I'm an associate professor of art. So uh, we're at the uh, Society of Photographic Education event here in uh, Houston. Have you been a, a longtime member? I have. I started going to SPE conferences. I was probably, well, I was in grad school, so it was in the early 2000s. So I, um, I, I started going to some regional ones and then became, I, I haven't been coming to the national one as much because in the last three years, it's been at the same time as the art fairs in New York mm -hmm. and you, know, you have to kind of pick and choose and yes. I only get to go to one conference a year so if I don't go to this I'll go to the regional one or something you know and I just found out that photo fest is back to back with this conference are you staying for that yes I am not mm -hmm. um tomorrow night I'm going to go to the opening mm -hmm. no because that's always I've only been to photo fest once before but yeah. it's yeah it's pretty amazing and I'm sure that's why they wanted to have it this weekend was because the kickoff was happening right 
Yeah, no, it's a it's a circuit that I've, I've never really been connected to. Yeah, I've always done the things in New York. Oh, yeah, there's the 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 APAD and right. the Paris photo. And yes. the, yeah, there's like a million different photo exactly. conferences. Yeah. And so, yeah, so it's kind of easy when you're in New York just to just to pack up and go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh, I got to see you. Uh, it put on a really great panel talk this morning. Yeah, thank was you. That, what was that, 9 a.m.? It, it was 9 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you for getting up and coming to the first session of the day. It was fantastic. It was it was called the um, a dialogue, uh, uh, or they call it a dialogic, a panel talk on 21st century family, right? Yes. Yeah, how did you get involved in that? Well, they put me into that uh, panel. I had submitted work to be part of the conference in some shape or form. Uh, and then they had put the panel together through all of the submissions. So, and I was really excited because I had, I was f- very familiar with Priya Campbell's uh, work, which I adore. And yeah. And so, and I wasn't very familiar with the other two artists, but I thought, oh, you know, this, this will be a good panel. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, it was a really interesting discussion. So it was obviously curated for artists who are doing work that involve their, uh, their family lives and the, the, where they grew up or how they grew up and who they are and identity and connections. And the work is uh, by nature, very uh, personal and diaristic. So your your work involved your heritage and where you grew up and now has seems to have expanded into a more open idea, general idea about immigration as well and the and, and representing the worker and the, the, the worker we don't see. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I unfortunately did not grow up in Hawaii, but mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm very bitter about. But um, so my my, uh, my when my father was a child, he moved, uh, my grandpa, my grandparents moved some to Seattle. So that's where I was kind of born and raised, oh, but okay. the family, everyone else, all the other brothers and sisters, all are still on the islands. So, so wait, wait, so, uh, go back and <laughs> who did, who did you grow up with? Well, I grew up with my parents. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, my, my parents divorced when I was five, but they stayed in the same area oh, okay. primarily in Seattle, in Seattle. Yeah. And your grandparents were there as well? Uh, yeah. Well, my, yes, both sets of grandparents mm-hmm. were there. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. How did you then, or when did you start getting involved in the work where you were describing the plantations and the 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 pineapple plantations in Hawaii? Yeah. And the- well, my work's always been about identity, um, and I'm mixed, right? So my father is of uh, Japanese and Okinawan heritage, and my mother is, is primarily British. I did 23 oh. and Me, so I got uh-huh. to find out some of that stuff. I did too. But yeah. <laughs> it was interesting, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't really learn anything about the European side that I didn't really expect, or either side, actually. Mm-hmm. The 1% Korean was kind of interesting. That oh. was the only shocking part, but yeah. that's within the the margin of error so oh right right right. i don't know if that oh yeah i had persian within the margin of error yeah yeah, oh you know (laughs) um but okinawa was you know a big training post so uh you know i kind of expected to have some maybe some chinese heritage or something you know because uh but what the company did 23andme they say okinawan so it's all is probably a mixture of things that come up of people that are from that area so it might have some other influences but they still just tell me yeah it's like literally a quarter they're like 24 percent that and 25 percent japanese mainland and so it was very oh that's interesting it was very telling i mean there wasn't a lot of uh, japanese culture is fairly homogeneous so 
There wasn't a lot of I'm, mixing. First, my dad was the first person in our, you know, family to to marry outside. Mm. So I'm half Japanese. Oh, biologically. Okay. But I never knew my father because I was oh. adopted. But when what I did. What is your last name? Or so Dalton is the family name I was given okay. through my first adopted parents. Is it okay if I ask you questions? Oh, absolutely. Too? Okay. <laughs> 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 your yeah, yeah. block or in fact your thing. I, I think my audience has heard <laughs> bits and parts of this story but okay. yes yeah so but yeah so i was adopted by the daltons okay. with three sisters all from different asian backgrounds i see uh, i know i know from what they call non-identifying adoption records that my father was from japan oh. uh, my mother most likely from uh the new york area uh, wow. but she was russian jewish and uh, italian Interesting. So, but when I when I did ancestry, the Italian was pinpointed in Sicily. Okay, so yeah. you have some very specifics. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. My family is also fairly mixed. I on my mom's side, my mom and stepfather. I have an older sister who's adopted, but she's uh, Laotian. Oh, okay. Well, she's Lao, so she's like full Asian. I'm half, and then we have a little sister who's completely Caucasian mm -hmm. <laughs> so we have the, the whole rainbow of color there <laughs> yeah no I so I have a, a sister who's um uh, Korean and Irish a sister who's Filipino and a sister who's from Hong Kong oh yeah yeah <laughs> just all the Asian-ness together yeah, right. I guess <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but what what's interesting for me about your work is how you've integrated that identity into your work and how and then how it expanded. Oh, yes. I didn't yeah. answer your question. Oh, okay. Right. So, we'll back. Yeah. so the work has always been about the mixed heritage that I have and about social justice uh, to an extent. I mean, my, my, it, my work has been more of a quiet activism than it has been, you know, out there overt like it is like this body of work, Fruits of Labor. But in recent years, our politics have gotten more and more conservative and immigration law has started to be interpreted differently. And I just felt like I needed to speak out uh, during World War II. Grandmother's side, my grandfather's side was not incarcerated because they were in Hawaii. And of course, you know, a quarter of the islands <laughs> were Japanese right. of some, you know, uh, percentage. But on the mainland, uh, my grandmother's family were all incarcerated at Minidoka, one of the uh, World War II Japanese American camps. And I just felt like, you know, there were few communities that actually stood up for them at that time. And with the privilege that I have now of being a fourth generation American, I certainly can speak out on those issues that were pivotal to my own family, such right. as labor and immigration. So thinking about those families coming across the border, our southern border and being stopped and how dependent our economy is on those folks coming up here and doing work. Mm -hmm just made me think, well, you know, I need to address this. Uh, but of course, I couldn't tell their story. It's not my story. So right. I went back to my own family story and started looking at that, that, that uh, 1914 migration from Okinawa to Kauai. And it was, you tell an interesting, you know, story and, and chapter in history that, which I, I wasn't aware how, how it was that people from South Asia, people from Japan ended up on Hawaii picking the pineapples. Uh, yeah, and they, sugarcane too. Yeah, oh, that yeah. was a big industry. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Did you mind repeating a little bit of that? Sure, yeah. yeah. So, well, I mean, 
the agricultural industry in Hawaii was started uh, after, uh, you know, was colonized, right? So there were native Hawaiian people living on all of the islands. Um, and actually, I mean, this is going way back, but um, the islands were... King Kamehameha was was not king of all the all the Hawaiian islands. In fact, there's actually more islands in that archipelago that are belong to other entities. Oh. So, um, but Kamehameha was so impressed with Western culture and kings and queens and things like that. So he was able to conquer a few of the islands and then bring all the other islands in and create this kingdom called Hawaii. But it was not traditionally. Um, that way the whole way of life of Hawaiians was different than how Westerners think about we know they didn't have land ownership and there was no uh, like planting crops and growing farm farming was was completely a foreign concept so when people came in and started making these plantations and they were recruiting Hawaiians to work there <laughs> those it didn't go over very well um, so those plantation owners started bringing in people from other Asian countries to work in these plantations, both the sugarcane and pineapple. And that is how my family came. Uh, it started out with Chinese, and then there was Japanese and Filipino, and just a, a whole variety of Tahitian, a uh, whole variety of people that, that ended up coming. How do you, have you traced back who in your family was? Yes, yeah, so it was oh. my great grandmother. The, mm. the photograph I showed of myself as a little child. Right. <laughs> that was me and my Obaban. Uh, so she came over, and I have gone to Okinawa and, and done the family research. It's very hard because there are no documents left on Okinawa oh. because of the Battle of Okinawa, just decimated the, the whole area. But I was able to actually reconnect with family. Uh, that would have been my grandfather's generation. But so we we did find out my my grandmother, my great grandmother and my great grandfather immigrated. My great grandfather's what was from uh, oh gosh, and I can't remember how many brothers and mm. sisters he had. He it was a very large family and many of the the male sons left to work elsewhere and send money back because Okinawa after Japan annexed it. They, Japan was just taking all the resources, and the folks there were were starving. There was no money. So when did that happen? Do you? Know? Um, well, the annexation was in uh, the 1880s, oh, and okay. then so my Obabang they came over in 1914. Mm. So they were born after the annexation and during the midst of this Great Depression. So they were one of the families, one of the kids that left, and they were actually the only set of kids that didn't come back, too. Like, uh, one went to Guam, one went to South America. Like, they all got jobs in mm. agriculture in other countries and sent money back home. I think World War II probably had a lot to do with why they never went mm -hmm. back. Plus, once they got to Hawaii, they had seven children who were then American <laughs> citizens, right? And, right, right. you know, giving up their privilege of, of having the education and the American system that, that they were born into probably was a, yeah. a, a pretty big draw to stay in the States as well. Mm -hmm. How strong was the sort of the, in, in terms of the home life, the, the connection to Japanese culture for you? For me? Yeah. Oh, you know, so I think like many immigrant families, my family is 
stuck a little bit in old-fashioned Japan. Oh, wow. So uh, I actually, in, in undergrad, I was an exchange student uh, to Waseda uh, Daigaku in Tokyo, and I stuck out like a sore thumb. <laughs> I thought, oh, the homeland, you right. know. <laughs> um, but even language that we would use at home was like country bumpkin kind of talk because if you think about how people spoke even in the U.S. in 1920 and then trying to speak like that today, (laughs) people would look at you really strange. So some of the words I use, and then, you know, I had to catch myself to figure out, you know, what was appropriate and what wasn't. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the traditions that we have, I think, are, are quite traditional or old fashioned compared to what modern day Japanese folks are like. Mm -hmm. But I did grow up, I mean, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother, my dad's mother, um, especially in the summers, you know, parents working. And I think food was a hybrid of of things. And my my great grandmother, who was my grandma's mom, she lived until I was 11. Oh, wow. So I got to spend a lot of time with her in those summers. You Um, have memories of her. Oh, yeah. She didn't speak much English. And Mm -hmm. I don't speak much Japanese. But we used to hang out and watch you know, kung fu movies and karate <laughs> movies, and she had a sweet tooth, so we ate a lot of Twinkies and Ho Hos, and I still have that problem. Good, Ameri- good American <laughs> not, snacks. Not, right. I don't, I don't eat the processed stuff anymore. But right. man, give me a good chocolate chip cookie, or I will, I will go to town. Um, <laughs> so we, you know, we there was a lot, of, and and I feel like in Seattle too. That yes, uh, Japanese. Americans have their own kind of subculture. But after World War II, when folks came back, uh, Chinatown had really absorbed Japantown. So there was more of an integration, I think, with, you know, we had people that lived in the same neighborhood that were from different kinds of Asian backgrounds. It oh, wasn't okay. just like Japantown or, you know, so... Do you remember a Japantown? Like a, no, no, oh, Japantown, oh. that was pre-World War Two. Oh, okay. So then when all the Japanese Americans were taken away, right. then they, uh, those buildings and things were started to be occupied by other folks. Oh, okay. And then coming back, it's like, oh, well, how do we fit ourselves back into this thing? So, right. so it was a little bit more integrated. And now it's called the International District because it's, it's more of an Asian area than it is specifically Chinatown or specifically Little Saigon or something like that. Right. Yeah. Which is different from the East Coast, right? Yeah, there absolutely. was not the incarceration. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I definitely grew up amongst all of that and, you know, being yeah. able to partake with my grandparents and like mm. Obonodori like festivals and things like that. But my mother was not Japanese in any way. So, oh, right. So, um, right, right. you know, so my home life was was definitely a blend of things. Although she was quite amazing. Even after my folks separated, she would take me to my dad's uh, parents' house all the time oh, okay. uh, so that I could really keep in touch with them and, and you know, who I was. Yeah. People thought I was adopted from Vietnam when I was a kid because I was born in the early 70s. And yeah. they would say, oh, to her, they would see her, this, like, light brown-haired yes. you know, woman. And they like, oh, is she adopted <laughs> yeah. from Vietnam? Right. My mom's like, nope, she came out of Did me. anyone ever ask you if you knew your real mom? Uh, no, well, oh, okay. I, not that I remember. Oh, because so. you would have been young, I was, right? Yeah, My I was sister little. adopted from... Uh, China. So my niece is, um, Sushan is from China and my nephew Liam is from Korea. Okay. And, and she got those questions, you know, she's half Korean, but she's also Irish. So yeah. So yeah. So (laughs) So, she looks maybe look a little more Irish and 
So that you, people would say that, oh, who are their real parents? Or, you know, don't you want your own child? Like, or, right? Who says that? That is <laughs> yeah. just so absurd. Yeah. Um, but before we um, dive backwards uh, into your work a little bit, I, I do want to talk about the work you did present. Mm-hmm. And so it was very much based on this idea of the pineapple plantation, mm-hmm. right? And I did love those hexagon frames that you created. Yes, that the, took a while for me to figure out the exact there, way there, to make those. There's a name for that pineapple shape, and I'm blanking on <laughs> oh, it. Oh, is there? I, I think don't know so. What that it's, is. Oh, so hmm. I'll cut this out if I'm, if I'm completely wrong, but I, I think... Don't pineapples share in the the whole mathematical Fibonacci series? Oh, I'm sure they growth do. Growth rate, sure, all those things. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And and then there's a name for that, but I don't remember. Anyway, so but regardless, yes. it, it's the way you infuse that whole sort of notion about these objects that we take for granted, and the history you gave on them was also fantastic. This idea of it being very kind of special and honored and marker for when the man returned from, you know, yeah, the sea and all those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I didn't know any of that. Mm. That was really, really interesting. It's yeah, and it's symbol of wealth, right? Mm-hmm. And exoticism, and um, and of course, it's delicious. Yeah. So, <laughs> so everybody wants to eat it, right? Um, and. None of that history. Well, and you can even go to England and and see the you know pineapple carvings on banisters of staircases oh, and right. things to you know harken back to that you know oh we're we're welcome to our home we're ready for guests you know kind of thing. And, things picked uh, up through colonialism exactly right? and conquering exactly yeah. and. Never in any of those histories do we talk about the people who actually worked to cultivate those fruits. It's all about the explorers that went and brought those to Western civilization, right? Right. You know, while you were talking, I I actually had a memory of... So um, after I I lived with the Daltons, my my adopted parents passed away when I was very young, and I went to live with my mother's brother, so my aunt and uncle, the Keatons. So I grew up in two Irish Catholic families. (laughs) And they had a Friday night poker night. Oh. But the sort of the, almost like the big ceremonial thing was the kids were preparing the snacks for the adults. And then we had to go upstairs while they played poker and drank and got drunk and everything else. And, (laughs) but there was always like the slicing of the pineapple. It just, it brought, that was still kind of like a special thing and in a weird sort of way. That's so interesting. So, my family is a gambling family also. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, we always said it was like typical Asian family. But my dad, when he was younger, he would make grilled cheese sandwiches at around midnight or so when they all started getting hungry oh. after all of that game playing. Yes. And he would sell it to them for a dollar. <laughs> what? <laughs> And then he could make money and they because they were playing for money. So they had the money right there. They're like, yeah, give me one of those. And he would make money off of their their poker games. Adopted father, Warren Dalton. So he was also a heavy gambler. And he used to, I've never told anyone this on air. (laughs) He used to have me adjust the toaster in the kitchen, which was chrome, so that he could see his opponent's cards (laughs) from from the dining room table. Wow, that's some serious thought into Uh that. Mm. (laughs) And then he got caught. Yeah, cheating. (laughs) 
Uh, so anyway, yes. You shared his secret. <laughs> I did. The, the gambling family. <laughs> so yes, you, you have this work. And so the work is, is, is multimedia. The work is um, mixed media. Um, you did uh, castings, right, of pineapples. Yes, so and, there's, yeah. yeah, there's sculptural elements. There's video. There's uh, photography. The photography comes off the wall onto the floor. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I also have the stereographs, which are right. photographic, but in a more hands-on uh, application. Yeah, you, so. you actually had antique stereographs Yes. with some uh, old and modern stereoscopic images, yes, right? Yes, yes. Did And I don't remember if you said this, did you make the connection to the stereograph and the kind of colonial tourism that those things were made for? Yeah, so the, the one that I... It's like the second one that I... Uh, oh, the plantation had, the worker. The plantation worker, right, yeah. Right. So here is this man in a field cultivating a pineapple plantation in Hawaii, and it was made into this card that someone could buy and use right. as entertainment, right? As a souvenir. Yeah, right. like his, oh, here I went to this exotic island, and or not, you know, you just pick this up so that you can Who like, knows where, right. bring your friends over and travel the world, you know, by looking at all these things. And I thought, wow, you know, this this labor as as entertainment kind of element. And then, of course, I had to make the pineapple upside down cake version of that so that we yes. had the other form of enter, kind of entertainment, right? This kind of... Um, well, that was the installation, right? It, um, well, you, you also showed a, a Martha Rossler video of making the... Well, it was inspired right? by her. Oh, so, yes, I'm sorry. Inspired the, by the her. The Rossler-inspired so, video. Yeah, right, so right. she did Semiotics of the Kitchen, right. right, where she goes through and she talks about all the different utensils. And I was thinking about unpacking this upside down cake. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, but the, I did it, you know, a little bit different. So I had the a, a white appearing woman making a pineapple upside down cake uh, but in the background on the sides and then where her apron was you could see this historic footage of people actually tending to the fields which and, was projected right uh, actually it wasn't it was oh. actually layered oh okay um, and yeah. i the apron i made out of some green screen fabric that's fantastic so i could have it's really nicely done really yeah. and so th so those workers were physically inside the body of the woman who was making the right. upside down cake and i don't know if if this was intentional or if you've heard, heard this reaction i didn't realize there was a an overlay of video playing at first like i was oh. concentrating on what was happening on the table oh Okay. And then all of a sudden things started moving in my peripheral, sort of peripheral eyesight. And I thought, oh, God, there's like, there's a video running here of, of other things. Oh, so good. It was, it's that kind of nice surprise where suddenly there's more relevance to what you're looking at. Right. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden you see a lady's face like yes. up here, right there. Right. And <laughs> right. you're like, oh. And then you made the whole thing look very vintage. Yeah, yeah. I wanted the pineapple upside down cake to be time ambiguous. Right. Mm -hmm. So it could have been at the same time as those plantations were going oh, on, I see. or it could be something contemporary. Because I right. really want people to think about the objects or products that we consume and who makes them and how we are able to have so much in this country. And and yet, we, you know, we don't want to support the the systems that make that possible. Right. Like and, and, migration. And yeah. Just to describe the installation a little bit more, there was you had to sort of journey from from the plantation worker and the and the, the sort of the political and sociological damage of everything to the pineapple upside down cake, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, so in the installation of Or was of it the, the Jello mold? I can't well, remember. Well, it's the Jello mold. But oh, right. It's actually, so in transit, when I when I showed this work, in transit was on the, the wall. It took up the majority of the wall. And mm-hmm. then right next to that was the monitor that had oh, the okay. upside down cake video. So it kind of went from one to the other. So you had, you physically walked through and you saw imagery that uh, commented on the actual growing and the actual labor practices, um, the the hours of day that they would be working, uh, who did that work, and you kind of cross the Pacific Ocean as you walk by, and right. and then as you get to the mainland, you start to see pina coladas and mm. and pineapple jello and you know things that that we associate pineapple with here, you know, on the mainland, but. Um, never think about completely you know, devoid of the work. Right? Yeah, who's doing this work? Where it comes from? What is the cost of mm-hmm. that? Yeah, and I think then one of the the last pieces you showed was when uh, you were carrying the the sacks of pineapples with your back turned to us, and so it, your identity wasn't uh, recognizable. It didn't necessarily identify as you, but you were meant to be identified as the worker or the migrant laborer or the or the foreign laborer that we don't even know about, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you know, being of kind of a little bit darker complexion and and black hair and you see me from behind and and most of uh Dole uh which is the the surviving pineapple grower out of Hawaii it was ended up buying up a lot of the smaller oh, yeah. ones. Um but most of their plantations are in the Philippines now. So from behind, I could be a contemporary Filipino, Filipina right. uh, worker, right? Or I could be a Mexican farm worker, uh, you know, coming up from our southern border or a South American Latinx person yeah. you know, fleeing violence or economic pressures. So right. I, I think that ambiguity, just wanting to kind of bring us all together and talk about the labors that brown people have been doing for hundreds of years mm-hmm. and just kind of showing that in that overlap in that image. Right. I, um, I would want to talk about some of your other work as well. I, just putting the sort of the, the numbers and the facts together, it looks like the, the work you did photographing the camps, Manzanar and um, you just said the other name and uh, Minidoka. I've actually Minidoka. been to eight of oh, the ten. Okay. Yeah, and a few Justice Department camps. Was too, that yeah. work done as part of your graduate work? No, I did that oh. in undergrad, actually. Oh, okay. Um, as interestingly, so I, I was I was a purist. I hated digital. Of course, this was when you had to make a change in Photoshop. It was Photoshop two. You had to make a change <laughs> and then render it, right? So right. at that time, I was a smoker, and I would like make five changes and go smoke a cigarette, <laughs> come back and see if it was done rendering. You know. I uh, hated digital. Um, I've since, you know, obviously it's Come a great tool, but <laughs> I was shooting, you know, medium format film. I had my Hasselblad. I was mm-hmm. traveling to all of these uh, concentration camp locations. Uh, and the only reason why I haven't been to Poston and Gila River is mm. uh, because they are on native land and right. you have to go before the tribal council and get permission and and i just which they never didn't do back that. then but n- yes <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> right. they just took it when they, they put the camp used there. it yes but i i just had not done that but mm-hmm. i've been to the other ones and so uh this last year 21c the museum hotel franchise they came to me and said you know we would like to show that documentary work that you did and oh, I, wow. I mean I was an undergrad and I thought oh yeah. I would do it different now you know yeah, <laughs> right right it's 
20 years old. Right. And uh, I mean, I, I still had some of the stuff printed. Some of it, I mean, I, I'd given some of it away to different museums um, in the Seattle area when I moved from there and Seattle, Portland area. And so I, I said, let me think about it. And so what I, what I came to was that I needed to bring that work into the current year. So uh, I said, I want to do a show and I want to call it D-Tension Past. So there'd be a slash, like that, there'd be D-Slash-Tension-Slash-Past to revisit that incarceration documentation. So I actually re-photographed my photographs. Oh. So we have the actual landscapes, the negatives of those landscapes that I made originally, the prints, uh, darkroom prints, and then we have another negative of that print and then another print. So the prints lose a lot in the highlights and the shadows. So we have generational loss, which is very symbolic. Mm-hmm. Plus we're removed from that situation by five generations, basically. So I thought I needed to, I needed to do that in order to make that work relevant for today. So that show actually just came back came down on the 29th, but it was at the Louisville 21 C. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, there was a big festival, right? Louisville Photo. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was part of their um, the 21 C exhibition for oh, that. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, Andrew Chenchi and Charles Traub spoke about that. Uh, Charles Traub is the MFA director at. Um, SVA. Andrew okay. lives in Louisville. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So then that's that's actually such a, a great way for you to take your work and, and make it yours again. Like where, who you yeah, are I now, mean, where you are mine, now. But yeah, right, right. I, I mean, yeah. I, I feel like I'm, I'm much more thoughtful in the way in which I want something represented than I was then. And well, they so, were pretty yeah. straight photographs then, straight landscape kind of photographs. Not, I mean, yeah, very, meaningful. very yeah. kind of you know, a modern aesthetic, very sparse, yeah. very uh, symmetrical, which I still kind of have that aesthetic. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I just needed to embed more meaning into them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said in the other uh, SPE uh, episode, um, I normally I do a, a bit more research into the work before I, I, I talk to the artist, but oh, you know, well, in this just... time frame, it's very compressed. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you, what work now are you, are you, um, or what's, what completed work that you'd want to talk about that you, you know, relevant to oh, what you're doing now? completed work. Because I, you know, I see uh, tending my grandmother's garden and heirloom and heirloom triptychs and islands. And yes. So the, yeah, the tending my grandmother's garden, my, my grandmother passed away. Oh, sorry. Uh, and How uh, long ago? Uh, gosh, has it been five years? Mm, four years? Not that long ago. Yeah. Um. And uh, she was very creative, and uh, she was incarcerated during World War II. She graduated from high school in the camps, mm. and uh, oh, wow. one of the teachers, she, she worked for the school drawing pictures on assignments because they didn't have a lot of textbooks, so they would illustrate assignments and make copies of those for the students to use, and um, so she was drawing a lot, a teacher that she worked with helped her once the loyalty questionnaires were given and people were allowed to apply to have release. She loyalty what, oaths they had to you, sign. Um, right? or, well, it or, was a questionnaire, and the last two questions 
were the controversial ones. I was like, mm-hmm. would you serve in the U.S. Army in the war? And of course... And kill Japanese people, Well, right? yeah. yeah. And, and that, Which was implied. That yeah. wasn't even the, the most controversial part. The part was that you want me to fight for my country... Because she was born in Seattle and right. born and raised in Seattle. As many who were interred were, right? right yeah, yeah uh, two-thirds. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, my and my uncle, my her brother, my granduncle, he actually volunteered from the camp for the Army. He was one of the folks that did that. Um, so it was, you're, you're, you've got me behind this fence, you know, and then you want me to fight. Like, you can trust me for that, but you won't trust me just to live my life. And it was insulting right um and then the the last question was will you give up any allegiance to the emperor of japan and for those who were immigrants the issei the first generation they were not allowed to become american citizens so they were wondering does this mean i have no country like what does how do i answer this do i get to be a citizen yeah what what can yeah can i you know, maybe American then, or, you know, what, so that was controversial for them. And then of course, for the second and the third generation, they were babies, but the, uh, the second generation folks like my grandmother and all of her siblings and uh, peers, they had never even been to Japan. They didn't know anything about Japan. So they're like, well, I don't have any allegiance to the emperor. So (laughs) why, why are you asking me this? Is this a trick question? You know? So it was those questions were quite controversial. Most people said yes, yes. Uh, and if you did say yes, yes, you could apply to work release or school release, uh, like in my grandmother's case. She did get accepted to a art program in Ohio. I don't know what school it oh, was. Wow. And I ended up in Ohio. Yeah. But my gra- my grandparents, my great-grandparents wouldn't let her go. Oh. They said... Not art or just not leaving? Just not college I think oh right it's just you're what what do you need to go get a college degree for you're going to get married I mean it was a very old-fashioned yes, kind of yes. way of thinking I think a lot of women of that generation did that so uh so she didn't go but she'd always done things like she did bonsai she you know she she always had something creative going on uh, but she was never trained in uh, any of it yeah it's so, sad to think about right it really yeah, is yeah. so when she passed away I started thinking about losing her and losing some of that tradition that is in my life like do I know how to make certain things or do I know when these certain festivals or you know I know when you're supposed to do this or that or you know and so to me there is a Alice Walker has a book and it's attending our mother's gardens Mm. and it really resonated with me. And so I thought, well, this, I want, I want to do a show tending my grandmother's garden. So it was all this kind of homage to her, uh, the way in which she raised our, the family, this kind of hybrid of American and Japanese traditions and values. And so that show really was a culmination of floral and Japanese objects coming together mm-hmm. to kind of like sculptural photo and yeah. then some framed photo- photos. But you mentioned um, your shared love of eating sweets. And one of the last pieces on your website is a Whitman sampler box with a garden oh. inside. Is that, was that a reference to that share, yes. shared experiences? It absolutely was. Every Christmas, she used to give me a Whitman sampler. Uh. And um, just... I, I went out and bought another box, you know, <laughs> and there's so much in those boxes, <laughs> you know, right. you're like, oh, I got to eat all of this. 
Um, but so what I ended up doing was... It's a good bargain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, was, uh, you know, trying to find flowers that were similar to the flowers on the cover of the women's um, Oh, box. yeah. Yeah, those um, little wildflowers. Yeah, photographing yeah. them, growing out of that, just, you know, the, mm-hmm. yeah, her, tending her garden. How yeah. that remembrance? And th- there's a, um, a bonsai in a, a cage of sorts. Is that a reference to interment? So, yeah. well, so I made that when I lived in China. Um, oh. And China is so, they're doing construction all the time. So that scaffolding is, is, oh, okay. is a reference to how what they put up around buildings there. But I was, I had a residency, uh, Redgate Gallery uh, does a residency in Beijing and it's amazing. I think anyone, if, if you want to go to China, apply there. Mm-hmm. They really take care of their artists. It's quite amazing. And uh, so I was, I was kind of influenced by that, but I was also thinking about family and the bonsai that my grandmother made. And so this idea that I wanted to protect that little plant. Um, and then also that it was under construction. Like I'm tending to this thing. You're right. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so yeah, I did a series of three of those. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You do, and you do multiples a lot in your work, right? Yeah, I don't know why. Oh. <laughs> There's a, um, there is a filmic, you know, a, a storytelling quality to that. There's a narrative quality to that, well, right? Well, that's interesting you say that because uh, the scroll format that I use is definitely pointing to that. Yeah. I don't want to be, I don't want to hit someone over the head with a narrative, right. but the idea that, you know, a scroll was something that told a story, like you look at part of it and then you, it's like a book, you turn the next page, like you look at a little bit more. So using that format, talking about a legacy or a journey or right. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your graduate work? Uh, so my graduate work, I was and quite you go? a bit. I went to the <laughs> University of Kansas. Oh, okay. uh, actually, I went there to study study with Roger Shimomura, and we had met. We were we were both on uh, so Minidoka, the camp that Roger was incarcerated in, is the same camp that my family was at. He actually oh. grew up in the same neighborhood that my family uh, lived in at that time, and uh, we were both on. Uh, we both were founding members of this organization that worked with the Park Service to create the plan to make Minidoka a national park. It's still in process. Man, the government works really slow. Yeah. But, well, um, <laughs> and you're not going to get it right now, by the way. <laughs> well, they're still plugging on. Oh. The visitor center just opened. Um. <laughs> just, just hope there's no like oil or mineral right. resources underneath it. Right. Yeah. Well, I could talk to you about some of that. There was trying to do a uh, pipeline thing through there, but anyway. Oh, yeah. So we were on that together, and then he, I had been out of undergrad for a couple of years, and I was working at the Photographic Center Northwest, and I really didn't want to take on any debt going to school, but he said, I'm going to retire, so if you want to come study with me, you oh, must wow. apply now. So I said, okay. So I did, um, and he did retire the next year. It's a three-year MFA program, but he promised me three years so I still met with him over those three years I was gonna say and um <laughs> were you angry when yeah you no 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 okay <laughs> uh no and and we still have a he's still my mentor I still oh, think great. of him wonderfully in fact he has a great show up at the Spencer Art Museum oh. uh out on the campus of KU of uh, it's a retrospective of his performance work so there's all I, and I, I want to go out and see it because there's all this footage of some of the performances that you just don't get to see right because right? they were performances oh, yeah. so so I went and studied with him and uh, I did mostly video and then some photo collage uh, I think a few of the videos are on my website but uh, none of the I don't think any of the photo collage work mm. from that is on there so but it was all about the incarceration being a um 
person of color. It was all the same kinds of themes that had come through. I mean, when I when I lecture about like the over of my work, I always start out with this picture that I drew in first grade, and it's me and my mom, and I colored my own skin in with a yellow crayon and oh, her wow. skin is the white of the paper right and just being knowing and you know like i said it was right after well, uh the um vietnam war and mm. you know just the 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 racial differences between us were evident but i was aware of that um my dad also worked in politics and and um state government and i was i you know i've just always been kind of civically minded so yeah yeah but that work isn't the work you produced in your grad, that's not on your website. In grad, I think there's a, in, under the video tab, there oh, might okay. be some. And there's um, a May Namba? The May Namba Project, yeah, that's um, a documentary film that I'm working on right now. Oh, okay. All right, we'll yeah. come back to that. Okay, so yeah, so under the video tab, there's uh, Gathering and Jungle and Lantern, Sandstorm, Hills of Idaho, Nothing to Say, and Sage. So the Hills there. of Idaho... Mm-hmm. Nothing to say. Those are both from grad school. Okay, and so you were doing primarily video. I was doing a lot of video. Yeah. Um, sometimes a still image doesn't get you to where you need to be. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, also going back to multiples. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But um, but the 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 impulse and the the desire to make film and video it's it's that is uh, stayed with you, and you are working on. Something now you said, yes. right? Yes. Well, and even the um, Fruits of Labor, you know, had right. a combination of video pieces and like some animated photo things in there. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so then what is the May Namba project? So May Namba is an amazing woman. She um, is, she just passed away last year, uh, but she was someone that kind of helped me get involved into the social justice uh, movement in Seattle. Mm. After 9-11, I met May. Her story is extraordinary, and I had been bugging her to try to document it for a while. And in 2014, she finally said yes. So I did a ton of interviews with her. Was it 2015? I think, oh, the years are getting jumbled. (laughs) I, she had five boys and then their families. We all went on the Minidoka pilgrimage together and I got to uh, film them. She was a leader in the community. So many, many people look up to her. Uh, but she was kind of a quiet person. So she was not the one that had the bullhorn and was out there rallying the troops. She was the one that was doing all the work behind the scenes so that the mm-hmm. event could happen. Oh, you know, right, right. She was that kind of person. And so I'm making a documentary film about her. Uh, one of her granddaughters is is uh, narrating it, oh, wow. um, Mia Namba. And uh, we're actually, um, we're still shooting. I'm editing, but we're still shooting because um, there is a group of Japanese Americans that I've been um, involved with uh, under the name Sudu for Solidarity. And they have gone to the uh, detention centers immigrant detention centers and been protesting with sudu, which are Japanese cranes, origami cranes, uh, which if you have a thousand of them, it's a sign of, of goodwill or sign of peace. So going and basically using the Japanese American experience as a backdrop saying, hey, our families were incarcerated based solely on race. Isn't it funny how we have all these 
brown people coming across the border and they're incarcerated. We don't have the same issue with Canadian Canadian citizens or, you know, we are basically incarcerating and separating families and children and, you know. Or Donald Trump's favorite Norwegians. It, we uh, don't have, yeah. Yeah, we don't right. have any highly yeah. skilled Norwegians. That's yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, so... <laughs> They've been protesting, and it's become this greater movement. Uh, so there have been crane-folding parties all over the country. Uh, I was just out in L.A. running a workshop for doing that. And on June 5th through 7th, we're actually going to be marching in Washington mm. with all of these uh, over 120,000 cranes, which 120,000 is the rough estimate of how many Japanese Americans were incarcerated wow. during World War II. And we're going to march with all these cranes and try to demand that the camps be shut down. Mm. So Mia and I uh, are going to go and I'm going to film her mm -hmm. as an activist herself participating in these things. So it's going to come full circle, yeah. hopefully, as yes. I finish right. this film. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I really want people to be inspired to start their own form of activism, whether it's really the quiet activism that May did or whether mm -hmm. it's marching in the streets. You know, there, there are a variety of ways that you can create change in the world. And I just through May's extraordinary life. And I want to highlight the various ways in which right. uh, you can do that as well as shine light on the history. I see on the site that you you uh, raised money through crowdsourcing for I that. I did. And it's are you still raising money through crowdsourcing or <laughs> no, is, you've done no, it? No, it closed. Oh, it good. Closed. Well, good. I mean, I didn't raise that much for it oh, okay. um, because I, you know, I, I shot it all myself. I mean, there was some equipment that I need to purchase. And then, of course, going uh, to Minidoka and doing all of that yeah. uh, did cost money. I have a little bit left over, which we're going to go to D.C. And then, of course, historic footage is very expensive. If it's oh, not yeah. part of National Archives, right. it's very expensive. So I'm keeping the rest for that. But, oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. And and uh, you said the, the, mar the, the, um, the march will be when? The march itself will be on June 6th. Okay. Uh, we are going to be in Washington on the 5th, which is a Friday, mm -hmm. uh, and encouraging everyone who is there uh, as part of the event to visit their legislators mm -hmm. uh, first on, on that day and say, hey, we're here. We really want these camps to be closed. Um, you know, the, there was a, a commission on, on World War II incarceration, and they deemed that it was unconstitutional. You know, let's right. learn from that history. Yeah. So and then we're going to march, and then we'll, we'll have some programming. There'll be some speakers and things like that in the evening. But Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really uh, just so insidious what's happening. Um, I have a, a friend who's a um, uh, an immigration lawyer who traveled down to the border uh, to document some things, and <sighs> you know, there's uh, there are groups of um, people who will leave water out. Oh yes, I heard they, about the man that was convicted. Right, and of, they, yeah, yeah. Oh. and they made it illegal to leave water. Yeah. It's like, really, do you hate these people so much you want them to die? Like, yeah. What is your That's, problem? That is true. Yes. I, 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 I cannot understand the mentality, this dehumanization of folks that are risking everything to get to a better place. It, it's, the, it's the darkest politics of the other that, that we know has happened already. Yeah. And we're just doing it again. It's anti-American. It yeah. really is anti-American. Yeah. It goes it, against everything that this country was founded on. Yeah, uh, after we learned a lesson or two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we're still learning. Yes, yes, we're still learning. Exactly. Yeah. So, ha did I um, have I forgotten anything? What's uh, anything coming up? Shows uh, bes obviously besides the march and everything. Oh, let's see. 
Where do you teach? Uh, I teach at the Art Academy of Cincinnati, and I should, you know, do a shout out because yeah. they did give me the sabbatical uh, to work on the, finish the editing and filming of of the Maynamba project. Nice. Um, if anyone can think of a better name than that, I'm right. really struggling to find a title. Um, Crowdsource the name. But I bet you it'll come to you in the in the final post. I hope so production stages yeah there'll be some something will happen something will happen on this march something will yeah yeah so they you know gave me this time off so that i could really edit Mm -hmm. uh and immerse myself in all of the footage because i have so much of it uh that and i you know i not only did i interview me and go to the site but i've interviewed uh three different people from the national park service i've interviewed um historians i you know i've just you know people anyone um that might have any expertise uh, family members and just every mm-hmm. everyone community folks so i have all this right. footage that <laughs> had to be distilled down to tell a story and you know you can tell a story so many different ways and trying to figure out what the most appropriate and way is so, maybe even more so i don't know more so than uh sequencing photographs i think it's really hard to figure out what video footage to let go of right i think it's so easy to get attached to that 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 footage that that took so long to get or you know that that instance that was so hard to put together yeah and i think you could give everyone that same footage and they would come out with different stories Mm -hmm. right and that's the thing it's what is the story that's most important you don't want to make an epic film it doesn't need to be 10 hours long that's right (laughs) (laughs) this is a three-part series (laughs) so yeah it's really it's really hard i mean and and truthfully i the timeline that i have right now is the fifth one that i put together right i i feel like this is the one but knock on wood or something uh you know it's it's really difficult and and i also you know my other work all the the fine art work that you see you know on my website mm-hmm. and what i talked about in today's panel that work is not linear and telling a story so specifically like someone's life right. uh is linear in a way even yeah. even if you don't do it linearly it still oh, absolutely. is and and yeah. and it's been hard for me to wrap my mind around that way of speaking yeah, it's a very different way of working. So what is, what's your favorite uh, social media platform? Well, I guess Instagram. <laughs> I mean... You say that with, with a little disdain? <laughs> well, I love social media. And I also despise it in a way. I, I'm, I'm with you all I, the way. You know, I hate the, the fact that it's, yeah. it's supposed to be this democratic way of sharing information. But at yeah. the same time, you're also giving up your rights to imagery and... It, it I is. hate the algorithms. Yes. I don't like the way in which you're pointed to certain things and then there's other information you right. may never get. I mean, it's just problematic. Today, someone asked, when do you think photography fails you? Oh, yeah, like you that's right. apply that to social media. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. some wonderful aspects of it. And then there's absolutely it, it has been a great way to find people and connect and things like that. But it's also been uh, it's such a consumer of time. It just takes it. You know, it can really. um well, I don't know how else to put it. You know, I feel like there are just times when I have this like, oh, I haven't posted this in such a long time or I haven't promoted this in such a long time. And I'm thinking, why? Why does, why does it have to weigh on me? Right. right. Yeah. But, but we do. Everyone else is doing it. Yes. And you have to do it too. You have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your Instagram handle? Uh, it is E.H. Momohara. 
Oh, just like your website. Just like my website. Yeah. Yep. Dot com for the website. Yes. Yeah. Dot com and Twitter and Facebook are the same as oh, well. Oh, that's so good. At least it's uh, easy to, yeah, <laughs> figure out all your handles. There's yes. not very many Momoharas out there. I know. Lucky so, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could never get the uh, straight up Dalton. Too many Daltons Yeah. There's out there. a lot of Daltons. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you for asking me. Yeah, it's this is quite great. an honor. I'm, I'm so happy to meet you as well. It's yeah, a- well, and I, I now I'm going to have to download your podcast Please. and <laughs> and listen to all the great artists that you've had on there. Um, yeah, you know, it's- well, two a month is a lot, though. Yeah, two. I mean, when I started in 2015, I um I was just so sort of going gung ho and excited. I was doing like one a week, and uh-huh. I also had a lot you know, recorded up front. And okay. then, of course, you know, back to school and life mm-hmm. and children and everything else. How old are your kids? 12 and 8. Do you share with them? Do you ever ask them what they think of the of the artists and yeah, record you know, that's their... That's so funny. Yeah. You're the second person... <laughs> oh, really? ...the second recording in two days to ask me that question. I've never been asked that question before. And yes, mm. I do. Uh, I, I mean, so... Those of you listening, you will have already heard this. I um, this is as close to what they imagine like a a, a YouTube star would be, right? Like this is like this is for them. The podcast is social media. They they understand it. They think of it as social media, and so the fact that I know all these people and 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 have connections to all over the place oh, with all these people impressed. that's kind of yeah, it's, it's impressive to them. Yeah. Whereas the the act of photographing. And making photographs is kind of boring in some ways to them. <laughs> so the, the photography wow. part of it is, is less interesting to them. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's funny. But although I, I've taken them to the shows and they like they like that. You know, they like coming to the shows and things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think seeing it in person is different than looking at something online. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Like we were talking about the print. Yep. So and it's like, yeah, you want to see the print. And I mentioned this before, but, you know, I took my son out photographing and he he saw the sort of the frustration of the process of trying to find the right spot and all those things. And that did turn him off a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So he's not going to follow in your footsteps. I don't think so. No, (laughs) he's, he's all about the game design right now. He wants Uh, to be a coder, a game designer. uh, Yeah. You know, probably what, what many 12 year olds want to be right now. Yeah. Well, (laughs) he's moved past being a famous game player though. Yeah. He doesn't talk about being the, the YouTube game star or anything like that. Yeah. Because there's a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So yeah, at least it's a a feasible thing he wants to do. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Yes. Great. This was a pleasure. Thank you. Bye everyone. Goodbye.